0: Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now.
1: This is the church law podcast where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to another episode of the Church Law Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. I'm so excited for our episode today. Our topic is HR Matters for Churches with guest employment attorney, Tiffany Relliford Esquire. <laughs> Tiffany is a partner at Whiteford Taylor and Preston and focuses her practice on labor and employment law representing large and small businesses, nonprofits, and various employers. She has appeared before state courts, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and various human rights offices. Ms. Relaford has a background in human resources and provides general counseling to employers regarding separation and hiring issues, and disability and discrimination issues, including providing training on EEOC regulations. Additionally, she represents local county agencies and has experience defending grievances and matters before the Merit System Protection Board. In addition, she routinely counsels community associations and covenant practices and industries, labor and employment litigation, EEOC discrimination claim, um, representation in labor and employment, human resource management advice, community associations, Contracts Negotiations, and Dispute Resolution Council to Boards of Directors. She's also a past speaker at the Church Compliance Conference, an annual conference that I created back in 2007, which has been going strong, And, and the conference has been listed among the top church management conferences. So listen up for an invitation for the September event. Tiffany has been my go-to person in the firm when it comes to employment issues for churches. She's obviously well-credentialed, um, and I've also found her to be practical in helping clients move toward the best solution for tough employment issues. I'm so glad she's able to join us today. So, welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad that you're here. So as you've heard, um, I've shared a bit of your impressive bio, and I'm so glad that we've gotten to work together for almost five years now as partners at Whiteford, Taylor & Preston. And while your practice is varied um, in terms of nonprofits, community associations, and for-profits, you've brought incredible experience to the complex employment issues I've solicited your help with. So Thank you. (laughs) Happy to
0: help. Happy to help.
1: So, you know, I've called on you for assistance in everything from drafting or revising church handbooks to issues regarding hiring and firing and so many things in between. So I think it's important that I mention right up front that while this discussion regards church employees, much of the same analysis can be applied to church volunteers. Um, Of course, even when we're talking about volunteers, churches still have that same responsibility to screen, select, and supervise just as they would with employees. So having said that, Tiffany, let me ask you this. What are your thoughts on the importance of a church having an employee handbook?
0: So this is a common thing that I think All employers face where they think that they have such a small workforce that there's no need for an employee handbook. And that is a misconception. The reason why you want to have an employee handbook is one, it eliminates any sort of question about subjectivity and enforcement. Um, When you have written policies and procedures, you're more likely to follow those policies and procedures, leaving less room for employees to claim that they were treated differently than someone else. It's also something that if you find yourself in the unfortunate position of being on the other side of a discrimination claim or wrongful termination or some sort of employment claim, the first thing any sort of administrative agency that's enforcing or investigating that claim is going to ask for, as well as opposing counsel, is a copy of your handbook and your policies and procedures. So that's another reason why you want to make sure that you have those in place. And in most counties, If you have one or more employees, you're subject to a lot of discrimination laws. And so that's why you want to have those handbooks in place.
1: So the only thing I would also want to add there is something that I say to churches often, which is the only thing worse than not having an employee handbook is having one and not following it.
0: (laughs) Would you echo that sentiment? Absolutely. There's no point in having that piece of paper if you're not going to abide by what the piece of paper says. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And obviously, when we talk about employment matters, there are some important considerations in the hiring process. Could you share maybe some important tips that churches should consider as they are hiring a new employee? Absolutely. So we've seen a lot of trends and changes
0: when it comes to hiring over the years. One of those is background checks before you used to be able to ask individuals in the hiring process about criminal backgrounds. You need to check your laws in your jurisdiction because those laws have changed. In most jurisdictions, you cannot ask applicants about their criminal background history until after you have made them an actual offer of employment. So that's one thing to be aware of. Also questions regarding past salaries. Um, That is a trend that is now something we saw a few years ago. It's now um, there are laws in many different jurisdictions as to that, that you can't ask about salary history Um, because of the history of women in particular being paid less than men. And a lot of that has to do with negotiating powers. And so there's this belief that if you're asking about salary history and somebody provides you with a salary that's lower right than what maybe you were offering or what was expected in the industry and it's because they've been locked into that salary because they never negotiated something higher that's what these laws are meant to protect so salary history is another thing to avoid asking about and also when you are doing interviews have set standard questions i talk about subjectivity because of the fact that when you don't have scripts and people go off the rails and start asking probing questions that could elicit things about protected factors that someone could turn around and say, well, I wasn't hired for this position because someone asked me about my family life, particularly my children, number of children. I had things of that nature. And because of that, they discriminated against me. So you want to make sure that you try and stick to a standard script as much as possible to avoid potentially opening yourself up to some sort of liability.
1: Now, those are such good tips. Those are really good tips. And I want to mention that when it comes to interviewing potential candidates for churches, the law has been clear that discrimination, and I'm sort of giving air quotes here, is allowable when you specifically want to hire someone who agrees with the church's tenets of faith, right? So if you are of a particular denomination, the law says you have a right to hire within that denomination or other people who have those similar beliefs. Um, so I do want to point that out. That is something unique to churches and faith-based organization that the courts have consistently upheld. Um, so we've talked about some of the key considerations around hiring. Now, um, you and I have also been involved in matters together where unfortunately it becomes necessary to terminate an employee. So maybe I'll back up one step before termination. What are your thoughts about churches putting in place a PIP or a performance improvement plan? Is that something that you would recommend if a employee is demonstrating difficulty in his or her position? So the answer to that is it depends.
0: That's Mm -hmm. the answer nobody likes to hear, right? It depends. There's some behaviors that are behaviors that could be corrected for performance reasons. And whenever an employer hires an employee, it's an investment you're making. You spend time training this person, teaching them how to do how to run your business, how to work within your business. And so to, to lose that asset is expensive at times. So whenever you can, I am in favor of trying to do a PIP and trying to work things out with the employee. There may be occasions where a PIP is not going to change things because maybe it is a behavioral characteristic that the PIP just can't fix. If you are chronically late and we have advised you of this, a PIP probably isn't going to change that versus you're giving me substandard work products, but maybe it's because you just lack the direction or you need more focus or an understanding of what my expectations are, that's different. So I would say, you know, a PIP is going to depend on what is the behavior or the issue that we're trying to correct. And is it something that is a personality trait that, you know, you really can't fix? Or is this something that is really just an issue with regard to performance that can be improved?
1: No, that's a really good and important distinction, and I want to also mention in this context that when it comes to terminating an employee, you and I have seen this in matters we've worked together on. If the pastor is the direct supervisor, that can often be a very uncomfortable situation. Obviously, it's an uncomfortable period when someone needs to be terminated, but I would suggest to churches as you consider your org chart, how your duties of supervision flow, et cetera, how involved, you know, I think that important conversation within the construct of a church, how involved the pastor wants to be there, because if there are issues, if there are performance issues, you know, the pastor wants to, in my experience, be able to be that shepherd. And be that loving shepherd. And and it can be uncomfortable for him or her to to have to to terminate. So I just wanna acknowledge that. And you and I have been involved in those cases before. Yes, we have. (laughs) So when it becomes necessary to terminate, we've also been involved in matters where there's a conversation around whether a separation agreement, or a severance agreement would be proper. First of all, is there a difference between a separation agreement and a severance agreement? Usually the the two words are used interchangeably. If you're providing severance pay,
0: most people call it a separation agreement because there are other things that are included within that agreement. If it's just called um, a severance agreement, usually you're probably just giving them severance. There's nothing else in there, Um, but the two are used interchangeably.
1: Okay, all right. So for purposes of our discussion, I will use the term separation agreement. Um, what are some of the key elements that churches should, should have if they deem that in a general circumstance, in a particular circumstance, that a separation agreement is warranted?
0: So a lot of times um, right now, a big concern is non-compete. Provisions that if an employee was subject to a non compete during the course of their employment, those agreements will withstand termination and they're still going to be subject to them. So, making sure that you include those provisions. Confidentiality is another big one because oftentimes the employee may have obtained information that is confidential as to the church's business operations, its finances, information that is specific as to maybe plans to grow or things of that nature. So, you want to make sure that you're protecting the confidential nature of that information. In addition, something else that I see more and more often now is in the world of social media, non-disparagement provisions, where you are trying to protect the church from employees going online and disparaging any sort of you know trustees, board members, other employees of the church. Um, You want to make sure that you maybe include a provision about that. And then also the most important thing, is the Age Discrimination and Employment Act and making sure that you understand whether or not you are obligated under federal law to give an employee the 21-day notice period to review any sort of severance offer. Under the federal law, if an employee is over the age of 21, even if you're not covered by the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, usually you may not have the requisite number of employees to be covered under federal law, which is 20 or more. However, Because there are a lot of local, state, and just even local, based on county, anti-discrimination laws, oftentimes age is covered under that. So we usually include it anyway. Um, But if the person's over 40, they're entitled to a 21-day review period of any sort of offer that's extended. If they are not over 40, you can give them a shorter period. I typically don't recommend giving them anything shorter than maybe 14 business days. But those are the key provisions to consider when you're doing a separation agreement
1: Wow well that's really interesting so if I heard you correctly Tiffany when you mentioned non-competes you essentially indicated that they're generally enforceable is that right Correct okay. correct
0: they generally are as long as they are reasonable in scope and duration and geography, they're going to be deemed to be reasonable and and a lot of employers have non-competes but they may say, If you're looking at something and you have a question, you know, regarding post-termination employment as to whether that would be competing with us, talk to us. There's a difference between somebody being the musical director for my church and then leaving to go be the children's church director, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. those two are not competing because it's two completely different roles. And so what courts often look at when it comes to enforceability of non-competes, is whether you are prohibiting somebody from being able to make a living for themselves because your non-compete is overly broad. And so that's why we say you want to be very narrowly tailored with these. Um, and to the extent you can, if somebody has a question, talk to them about it to see maybe is there a way to allow them to still earn a living but not be in violation of your non-compete provisions.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it's also very interesting when we consider some of these Separation agreement terms in the church context, right? So, when we're, you know, when you may be working with a for profit employer, and let's say they're in the business, as we say too often in law school, right? Building widgets, right? Mm -hmm. So, it's a widget builder. And when an employee is terminated and you say, no, you can't build widgets within a five mile radius of our primary plant where we build widgets. Like that could make sense. But in the church context, I'm actually starting to see non-competes become a thing. Mm. So if you can imagine where one church is saying, we don't want you to open, you know, you, you're, you'll you be leaving this church, but don't open another church within a certain square mile radius of where mm-hmm. we're located. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, there's some <laughs> some debate about whether that is proper, but I just want to acknowledge from a legal standpoint, those are considerations that some, some churches are making. Now, you also mentioned confidentiality. And sometimes, is it correct that that might be a standalone NDA, I guess, is a term that we've also seen? And if so, can you speak to that a little bit more?
0: That's correct. It could be a standalone non-disclosure type of agreement and something that the employee had entered into before employment, or excuse me, during the course upon hiring with that church. And it's something that you want to make sure they maintain and adhere to. And they, again, like a non-compete, that they also acknowledge that this sort of agreement survives termination of your employment with the church. Those are important. And, you know, bringing me back to earlier, your first question about employee handbooks, Make sure that when you have those sort of confidentiality and non-disclosure agreements, be specific. The problem I have seen in the litigation context with some of those agreements is they're very broad and they're very general. And so the question comes up as to what is considered confidential information? But when you have one that is specific about, you know, our church members' names and addresses, our business partners, our plans for reorganization, our plans for growth, something that identifies and has a little bit more teeth to it, that makes enforceability more favorable to the church should there be a breach of confidence.
1: That's so helpful, Tiffany. Thank you so much for expanding on that. So related to confidentiality, and as we sort of wrap up here, one of the big topics that's being discussed in the church world right now is nondisclosure agreements or confidentiality agreements in cases involving victims of sexual abuse. So, in the context of those matters that are settled, it is very common, you know, almost no attorney is going to write a settlement agreement or come to a settlement without having an NDA or a similar provision um, of confidentiality. Have you seen any challenges to NDAs or confidentiality agreements when nonprofits have maybe been charged with sexual abuse or? maybe even in another arena? So I have not dealt with that
0: personally. I mean, other than what we have seen play out on the news, right, with the Supreme Court, that was an issue that came up there. And with some high profile directors in the world of Hollywood, uh, we've seen that kind of play out there where some people actually just decided to violate those confidentiality provisions because the benefit of violating them was greater then, you know, the risk of somebody came coming after me for a breach of that. But generally speaking, especially when you're talking about minors, I have not seen that sort of challenge. Um, and I think most people understand, not only in addition to the confidentiality agreement, but there are probably other privacy laws and other laws that come into place because of often those victims are minors. Uh, so I think that those are sorts of things that will have been upheld and I'm not aware of any situations where those types of particular agreements have actually been challenged.
1: Helpful feedback there. I also want to mention the fact that I know that in the area of employment, COVID has been its own <laughs> <laughs> has been its own thing, right? We've had so many issues in the employment context as relates to COVID. So everything from, you know, work from home challenges to return to work challenges to performance questions from home and all these kinds of things. Um, I just want to point out that I had an earlier episode with a doctor, a physician from Johns Hopkins Hospital, and we talked a bit about COVID-related matters, and I mentioned the recent Supreme Court case where there was a question about mandates, um, specific specifically vaccination mandates. So the issues around vaccination mandates and mask wearing and all those things, um, I think, are a discussion unto themselves when it comes to employment areas. But I'm sure you've been working with that a lot, right, Tiffany?
0: Absolutely. And I think we're just seeing the beginning Of the world of litigation that's going to come out of, you know, COVID, because even still, um, I think we're probably going to see some cases on what does it mean to provide a reasonable accommodation for somebody that's had COVID. Um, We had some laws that were in place during the pandemic to help employers um, provide employees with time off if they either contracted COVID or because of the difficulties of having a homeschool, things of that nature. Those laws have since expired. But we do know, I mean, I saw it just in our firm also in January, we had a lot of schools that pushed back start dates because of the pandemic. And so you have employees trying to homeschool while also do their own work. And the laws that we had in place before are no longer there. So I think we're probably still gonna see some more litigation arising out of this, as well as even though the Supreme Court knocked down the vaccine mandate for most industries, except for a select few, I think we're going to still start to see some challenge with regard to some of those religious exceptions um, and exemptions for why I shouldn't have to be vaccinated and just other litigation that's a fallout of what we've been through because we're all navigating through some uncharted waters.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your feedback there, Tiffany. And I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax and is a part of the Christianity Today podcast network. Today's episode is sponsored by Take the Next Call, a six-week live course where I help burnout pastors take the next step toward a life of more joy and contentment so that they can truly serve the Lord with gladness. Learn more at www.takethenextcall.com. free to share your comments and questions with me. I plan to read each of them, and maybe I'll get to answer your questions on an upcoming episode. Reach me at contact at takethenextcall.com. Subscribe to the Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity
0: Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the US legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.